Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS Podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's Medical Director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Fatil Armenian and Dr. Sajin Bakta. Hello. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about drug shortages. So, Patil, with your toxicology background and your love of all drugs, why don't you tell us about drug shortages and especially how it relates to EMS? I will. I love this topic, um, especially because um, I work pretty closely with our inpatient pharmacy on the hospital end of things on uh, drug shortages and antidote shortages and always trying to come up with workarounds. So I thought about looking into this from the pre-hospital standpoint And I knew this was a big deal because, like, we hear about it, but I think I didn't realize quite what a big deal it was until I started talking to EMS colleagues um, across the state of California this week prepping for this podcast episode. So medication or drug shortages have unfortunately become pretty commonplace in the last decade. And actually, in 2011 to 2012, there was a huge medication shortage crisis in the U.S., with over 250 shortages reported to the FDA that year. And out of those 250 shortages, 40% were medications used in emergency care. That was a lot. Big deal. In 2018, the FDA actually established a drug shortage task force to address this issue. Since then, critical medication shortages continue, though, especially in the realm of injectable generic drugs. So today we're not talking about shortages of rare and patented drugs, but rather the commonplace ones that can be life-saving. These are medications like epinephrine, dextrose, albuterol, naloxone, and even saline that are cheap, generic, and have been around for a very long time. I mean, think about it. Sugar water? Like, how can we run out of sugar water? Today we're going to discuss what drugs have experienced shortages in the past, what's facing shortages now, why these shortages occur, and ways to mitigate them. The main thing to remember is that this issue is important for patient safety. Key medications may not be available, and workarounds relying on on on-the-fly medication mixing could lead to dangerous errors. Our discussion isn't going to be complete by any means, especially due to regional variations and strategies we're not aware of, but it's a start. And I think it's great to talk about it, make sure the frontline EMS professional realizes these are going on. Sometimes you might think, well, why are they always changing my formula? Why are they always changing the concentration? I usually give fentanyl. Why am I giving morphine today? And this is why there's this national drug shortage problem. And so it's great that we're talking about it. So Sajan, why don't you kick us off about past and present regional drug shortages? So as Patil mentioned, speaking some of the colleagues in different areas, it is clear that drug shortages vary depending on the area. And the impact also varies depending on the EMS scope of practice in a specific region. And what do I mean by impact? Well, for example, in California, the formulary for the EMS scope of practice is very narrow, meaning that if there is a drug shortage, you don't really have alternative options to work with, which can cause a bigger impact. In contrast, in areas such as Washington State, there's a wider scope of practice, so that if one medication is unavailable, other options are still available. One example is that of sedating the agitated patient. If there is a benzodiazepine shortage, you can still use ketamine, or haloperidol, or olanzapine for agitation in Washington. Currently, in San Francisco County, fentanyl is on back order. 
However, they have morphine and Kintorlac available in their medication toolbox and pain management protocol. In the past, they have had midazolam or Versed, albuterol, and even epinephrine shortages. An epinephrine shortage is very concerning because there are no real evidence-based alternatives available for its life-saving use in anaphylaxis, severe bronchospasm, and cardiac arrest. Here in Central California, most of our ground EMS activities are conducted by American Ambulance, and so our experience here at American is fairly indicative of the region. Currently, dextrose in the D50 preload syringes are difficult to find with indefinite backorder. In addition, albuterol multi-dose vials, which are used frequently in the pediatric setting, are in very short supply. With these current shortages, it's limited to specific products rather than all formulations of a medication. In general, it's difficult to get controlled medications with shortages or threatened shortages of fentanyl and midazolam, which is versed, along with other opioids and benzodiazepines at various times. As our American Ambulance Clinical Manager Kurt Kindig put it, the only thing we are not in short supply of is patients. There was a great study published out of Los Angeles County in 2019 detailing their shortages and mitigation strategies. We'll discuss some of their mitigation strategies in a few minutes, but first the reported shortages. 28 out of 29 responding ALS provider agencies reported that they were impacted by medication shortages. Some key shortages included both epinephrine in the 1 to 10,000 and the 1 in 1,000 formulation. Interestingly, 64% of the ALS provider agencies, which is 18 out of the 28 agencies, had a 1 in 10,000 shortage at some point, which is the code formulation. And 50% of reporting agencies had a morphine shortage. In addition, D10, normal saline, atropine, sodium bicarb, fentanyl were reported to lesser extents. So what's really interesting is across the board, the 1 to 10,000 formulation of Epi really seems to be in short supply in a lot of, in a lot of places, which I find interesting. Um, and it sounds like even here in Central California, we had that happen about a decade ago. And at that point, we had all, we already switched to, in our protocols, diluting the 1 to 1,000 to 1 to 10,000 formulation. And remind everybody the anaphylaxis uses the 1 to 1,000 and the code dose is the 1 to 10,000. So it's the code dose of epi that we're the most short of. And you're right, here at American, we've been doing it where you open your vial, you dilute it for many, many years because of these drug shortages. So let's jump into why do these drug shortages occur? We're going to go through lots of different reasons. It's really multifactorial. So one of them is an unhealthy market dynamic. So the most generic, oldest products in our drug box don't really make a lot of profit for our drug companies. These drugs are then made elsewhere to make production costs cheaper, and loss of supply occurs with the closure or disruption of a single manufacturer. Because it then becomes more sought after, these few companies can demand a higher price for things that should be cheap. We do this a lot with the glucose problem, right? The D50, we've heard about the news with insulin and hospital systems. Um, that's definitely a big thing. Patia, why don't you talk about supply chain issues? Yeah, so this is really interesting. It's when production stops or slows down because of some unforeseen reason. So I want to get into uh, some examples here because I find these examples to be both awful and fascinating at the same time. So I don't know if you guys knew this, but normal saline is produced by only three manufacturers in the whole of the United States. 
Baxter International, B. Braun Medical, and ICU Medical. So first off, I was just shocked by this, just three manufacturers. So because it's only three companies that are all working at the rate of demand, there's no wiggle room. And even if they're making a life-saving product, manufacturers are not required to have any redundancy in their facilities. So that means if one goes down, the others don't have the wiggle room to make up for the increased demand. And we all know how much IV fluids we use in all sectors of healthcare. So after Hurricane Maria in the fall of 2017, Puerto Rico had a crippled infrastructure for many months. In early 2018, still one-third of Puerto Rico remained without electricity. Now, interestingly, one-third of Puerto Rico's GDP is from pharmaceuticals, both in medication and medical device production. And it turns out Baxter's production facilities are all located in Puerto Rico. And this is what led to a crucial shortage of pretty much every saline product, the small volume, large volume, all of them. Saline is not just used in fluid resuscitation, but as an irrigant for flushing lines, diluting other medications. So it's, you know, it's everywhere. Not getting Puerto Rico up and running quickly ended up having a huge impact on healthcare in mainland United States. Another big supply chain issue was the COVID pandemic. This kind of was a really big deal in 2020, but it continues to reverberate. So we haven't seen the end of this supply chain issue. And just so you guys are aware, 80% of raw materials for medications in the United States are imported from abroad, making our drug supply highly dependent on other countries. During the height of the COVID pandemic, 37 pharmaceutical factories in China that manufactured active ingredients for U.S. products were shut down. Consequently, manufacturers in other parts of the world were forced to depend on current stock or find alternative supply sources. So another big drug-producing country is India. And India imports about 70% of its raw materials from China and is the world's largest producer of generic drugs. And they began to experience delays in receiving ingredients and couldn't keep up with global demand. Then, anticipating their own drug shortages, the Indian government restricted the exportation of medications to other parts of the world. So this affected so many countries that rely on China and India for their medications, including the United States. Now, another big issue is when production is not equal to demand. So this is production delays, lack of capacity. Again, we're going to repeat a lot of themes, but fewer companies making certain medications. This results in decreased supply, and often this is a result of poor profitability. So EMS medications are generic, cheap. They've been around for many years. This makes it so that they're less profitable than newer brand name medications. So again, one factory has problems, we get huge supply chain issues. And another thing of just demand of items is... Anything involving treatment of respiratory diseases. Respiratory diseases have been on the rise in the last few years. We started with COVID. Now it's COVID plus all the other respiratory viruses this year. You can refer to episode 78 that we did on our winter respiratory virus update a few months ago. Now, because of this, more albuterol is being used and it's becoming really hard to find albuterol stock. Our main shortage here is in the multidose vials, which we use for pediatric cases, and having more and more pediatric cases, which we know our peds respiratory volume has gone up, um, we need this formulation and it makes it harder to find. So we got to come up with workarounds. And one last um, big one involving just more demand 
is naloxone. So, you know, I'm a toxicologist, so we can't get away from this topic, but naloxone use is on the rise due to more overdoses, and now many first responders carry it. So this means that EMS agencies have to compete with fire, PD, other first responders in their ordering of supplies. In addition, the current wave of overdoses is most often due to fentanyl. Fentanyl requires larger doses of naloxone to reverse. So whereas most calls pre the fentanyl era would require about 2 milligrams naloxone, which is one dose, now it's not unheard of at all to use 4, 6, or 8 milligrams naloxone in one call. So that's 2, 3, or 4 doses instead of just one. So it's like if each call is taking up, you know, double, triple, quadruple the amount you would normally use, we're going to run out of that supply faster. Let's go through some tips and tricks for dealing with some of these key drug shortages. So the first one, if you have no 1 to 10,000 epinephrine, you know, this is the kind of epi you need in a code, what can you do? One is you can take the 1 to 1,000 vial ampule and a saline flush and make it. You can dilute it, right? You can squirt out 1 ml of saline and then drop the 1 ml of the 1 to 1,000. That turns into a 1 to 10,000 syringe. And that's actually what we do here in our American ambulance system. Number two, what about no D50? So one thing you can do is use a 250 ml bag of D10. So D10 actually has 25 grams of dextrose in it. The problem with this, though, is that it takes a long time to infuse, and sometimes you actually make it to the hospital and it's not even done infusing yet. So why does this matter? Well, the people you're giving D50 to sometimes are altered or unconscious because of a low blood sugar. So it's an emergency, right? Lack of sugar or lack of oxygen to your brain is really terrible. You can seize, you can have bad things happen to your brain. They got to give you sugar fast. Well, the paramedic wants to give you D50 that's very fast. It goes in your IV very quickly. Now you got to give them D10. It's in a bag and you got to squeeze it in. 250 mLs takes time. This is not good for patient care. Sajan, why don't you tell us about albuterol? What to do if you have no albuterol multidose vials? So the multi-dose concentrated vials used in pediatric dosing have been in short supply. Again, with years of rising respiratory complaints, it's difficult to get them. Our workaround is to use two to three single adult doses in the same acorn at the same time if no vial was available. We also instituted closing the screw top vial tightly after use and using good clean aseptic technique, removing the medications with a dropper or a syringe. Now, normally we would dispose of these vials after each patient or 24 hours from opening. We have temporarily suspended that and are keeping them in the drug box until less than one half is empty. And these are all great workarounds that we're trying our best to do. Um, but really, the, we want to give a fresh vial to everybody. So now we're having to wipe it off, treat it very sterilely, and use it for every dose that's possible in that vial. Patio, what do we do if there's no normal saline flushes anymore? Yeah, this one's kind of funny because you're like, how do you not have normal saline? But again, um, supply chain issues. So you could actually just drop your own flush from a bag of normal saline, either from, you know, whatever size bag you have. And actually just thinking about IV saline and IV medications to administer, we've contacted many local and actually pharmacies in other states, compounding pharmacies. And unfortunately, compounding pharmacies can't um, really compound IV medications. So it's not really a great option to think about in this setting. Um, They really do like creams and pills and things like that. So thought about that, not an option. 
Let's discuss some kind of system-wide solutions. I know here at a small level, we can't make all these changes. Let's discuss some big things that can happen. You know, of course, the greatest system-wide solution will be overarching improvements with the American pharmaceutical system as a whole, which this podcast is really not even delving into. We should do that some other day. (laughs) But, um, you know, what are some strategies, you know, for our poor EMS companies that are really struggling with this? So one is EMS companies can look at extending their expiration dates. You know, we all get things like milk at the store that says best used by, you know, a certain date. I get cheese that's best used by. Now, is that cheese still good the next day? It probably is, right? Same thing with drugs. So one thing is to look at that. And there has been done in a lot of systems where they extend the expiration date on the medications. Because you have to ask that patient in that system, would you rather not have any epinephrine if you go to a code or have epinephrine that may be expired one or two days later? Sajin, take us through a few couple other ones. Um, so EMS agencies can look for alternative vendors. Um, of course, you know if the supply is low in general, this can be difficult, but that's another solution. Consider aggressive rotation practices, which is rotating your current drug supply and see if there's any stock that you can bring in from other areas. The other thing that we can think about is considering expanding the EMS scope of practice or having more drugs in the toolbox. In our uh, Central California EMSA drug box, morphine and diazepam are not used, though they are in the EMTP scope of practice. For example, if there was a sustained shortage of fentanyl and midazolam, the agency may choose to add morphine and diazepam into the protocols to use due to critical drug shortages. I think it's important to note that it's kind of be forward thinking because, of course, you have to train your paramedics on this. You have to train about the different doses. So it's not as easy as flipping a switch on a Friday to a Monday to switch drugs. But it's definitely something we got to look at because we need more drugs available when one becomes short. Yeah, and really it has to – it's like involving your EMS agency with your ambulance company or fire if your you know, EMS is through fire and everybody has to communicate together to know, okay, these are the shortages we're dealing with. This is what's coming down the line so that you can have you know, micro and macro solutions for your problem. Now in LA County, uh, the study that they published that we had kind of discussed earlier, they listed a bunch of EMS pharmaceutical mitigation strategies. I'm just going to list some of the some of their strategies, and then we'll talk about what was actually done by their agencies. And remember, this is LA County with a population of, I mean, I don't even know, millions. I forget how many millions live in LA County. So they have almost 30 different ambulance companies that are transporting patients. So some of their strategies were to, um, you know, procure medications from other pharmaceutical vendors. Sounds logical. Provider agencies may request to temporarily reduce their drug inventory by contact the EMS agency's medical director. The EMS agency may elect to contact county-operated pharmacies to seek assistance in replenishing current pharmaceutical stock. The EMS medical director may temporarily reduce minimum inventory periodic automatic replacement levels, and these are the PARs. Provider agencies may redistribute their current inventory among their own ALS units from low-volume to high-volume utilizers. They may also request um, use of medication identified by FDA for extension of use. Um, So that's going to be with extending your expiration dates. And provider agencies may also request blanket use of expired medications for up to six months. 
So just as an example, here in Central California, with the approval of our SAMHSA medical director, calcium chloride and magnesium sulfate have been used past their expiration dates by special memo when there have been brief shortages in the past. Um, Now, other options are that the EMS agency may deploy available pharmaceuticals from the disaster preparedness pharmaceutical cash to provider agencies most in need. Uh, Provider agencies may also request use of alternative medications from their EMS agency. They may request alternative formulations of the medication. So, for example, different concentrations or single-dose versus multi-dose vials, things like that. And provider agencies may then request to dilute the medication. Now, these were kind of all the options that they looked at. And then in their study, when they were surveying the 29 um, ambulance agencies that responded, this is what was actually done in real life. So the top thing that was done was utilizing alternate vendors and then rotating medications from low to high volume units. So this is kind of a really useful one just to know, like, what are the medications that are about to expire? What's going to kind of go bad the quickest? So maybe get those to the high volume units. So that way, you know, you know that the things that are going to expire are being used. And just this kind of being aware of expiration dates and stocking can be super helpful. And we see that here in our big system because we have units that are in outer line areas, more rural areas, and we have units that are like inner city Fresno. And so, of course, with inner city units are going to use more of these drugs than in our county. So it's like switching those drugs up so they don't stay in that unit and expire. So that way you don't waste a single drop. Exactly. You don't want to waste any. Speaking of not wasting, they actually did a fair amount of utilizing FDA expired medication extensions. Um, They also substituted medications with better availability. They borrowed medications from the L.A. County EMS agency, so that's going to be their their stockpiles. They borrowed medications from other agencies sometimes. They utilized expired medications with medical director approval. They sometimes very rarely diluted medications to obtain desired concentration. They reduced their minimum PAR levels, so that's your automatic replacement levels and utilize alternate concentrations or formulations. So just like a lot of different local strategies that you can implement to try to work around some of your medication shortages. That was a great overview of all these drug shortages that are happening and will continue to happen. Um, So let's do some summary take-home points for our audience today. Sajin. Unfortunately, drug shortages are here to stay. And so knowing about what shortages are currently affecting your practice and your workflow is very important. Patio. Um, Know your current workarounds for your system. And if it requires diluting something you're not used to, practice the math so you don't make any errors. And also I'll add, just know that this is a nationwide problem. If you're listening to this, your agency is probably experiencing some drug shortages and you're not alone. Everybody kind of is right now. And my take-home point is, you know, really work with your EMS medical directors for these system-wide solutions. And if you're on the front lines, you have a great idea on how to save a medication or to utilize it better, please bring it forward. We're always looking for new ideas on how to save these drugs for use for our patients. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. 
If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com once again that's podcast at americanambulance.com thanks thank you for joining us on the american ambulance ems podcast produced by american ambulance in fresno california the views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of american ambulance or ucsf fresno and i'm john mark bergen american ambulance's media producer saying thanks for joining us have a great shift and stay safe out there